Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Prometheus. It sounded like a good idea, but now you kind of regret it. Let's start the show. Welcome to The Pestle, everyone. Today's show is brought to you by The Umbrella Corporation, the world's leader in industrial manufacturing and consumer goods. Don't forget to try our new human GMOs, Umbrella Corporation. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I am Wes. Where do you find these things? <laughs> and I'm Todd. I always kind of skim through all the films that I like or know, and I'm like, what's a fun, interesting... If I can make it topical, I do, but I don't really force that too hard. I just like obscure... There's a rule to it. I don't know that you'll ever pick it up just because of how obscure just I get. because of... Of I'm not at your level. <laughs> You're not a nerd enough. Yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but there is a rule to it. Uh, one of I'll give you the most top level rule is that these can never be hosted by a title of a movie. That's as far as I can go. Um, but they're always companies okay, well, or what products. Is, what or, is this reference? Uh, that one is a reference to Umbrella Corporation. <laughs> oh, that's the movie. <laughs> no. Oops. It's within a movie, though, and a video game series. Mm. And you're not going to tell me? I thought it was a 50-50 shot that you would get it, actually. Oh, I'll tell you after afterwards. In that way, I like Easter egg hunting. And yeah. since Easter was yesterday, uh, I think it's always f- more fun if you find the Easter egg on your own uh-huh. instead of, you well, know, What am I supposed to search for it? Like, no. During I think it's the episode? kind of thing. But you just want to be annoying. <laughs> kind of. <Okay. laughs> but I think it's the kind of thing, you know it or you don't. If you know it, you kind of smirk and you know laugh to yourself. Uh, if you don't, by the time you get to the end of the episode, you already forgot about it. <laughs> so you're never going to look it up. Now I'm not going to forget this. <laughs> now that you said that, I'm not going to forget this. Uh, you're highlighting yes, it in the show notes. <laughs> so today, oh, Format breakdown. Yeah. Uh, This is the pestle where we like to analyze, discuss films, try to get a little more granular than just, is it a good movie? Why or why not? We like to say, here are some of the things that's working in the movie. Maybe some of the things that aren't. um, And maybe try to look for some technical spin to educate the viewer or or really myself. I kind of do this as an educational tool for myself Hmm. so that I want to, I'd like to walk away having learned a little bit more about uh, Alien, for instance, yeah. and say, oh, here's some of the techniques that I might want to borrow or uh, study in case I ever come across something that I think I could insert this into. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the thing is as filmmakers, sometimes we find a cool thing and we just want to kind of shoehorn it into any project that we that we find. And that always kinds of rubs me the wrong way. Uh, I think it's more effective to say, oh, I'm just going to have this catalog in the back of my head. And when the right moment happens dang, I can finally pull this alien reference into it. Yeah. That said, if you have not seen alien, you should be forewarned. There are spoilers galore yeah. coming. Um, there this, is an alien. There yeah. is an alien. <laughs> That's as much as we'll give you. Right. <laughs> but if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Uh, it's a horror movie. Um, it's got a few pretty graphic scenes in it. If that's not your thing, then maybe do just listen to this episode. You know, they aren't like crazy. No, they're just either. Well, that's interesting. I'll get into one uh, because for the time, definitely. Right. Sure. By today's standard, 
that as much. You're right. right, right. I think that's a really good point. Right. But yeah. yeah, so we'll cover a lot of things. We'll talk about the symbolism of Alien, which if you listen to last week, you'll know I kind of hyped it up a little bit. Uh, we'll also talk about, we'll touch on some other things, cinematography, design, uh, a little bit of the editing, and a lot more, just a few things that popped out at me. I really wanted to do a huge deep dive into this thing, but there really just isn't enough hours in the day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's start with the synopsis of the film. Again, if you haven't seen it, pause this and come back later after you've uh, had a chance to watch it. But uh, After a space merchant vessel perceives an unknown transmission as a distress call, its landing on the source moon finds one of the crew attacked by a mysterious life form, and they soon realize that its life cycle has merely begun. It's directed by Ridley Scott, screenplay by Dan O'Bannon, starring Sigourney Weaver as Ripley, Tom Skerritt as Dallas, Veronica Cartwright as Lambert, Harry Dean Stanton as Brett, John Hurt as Kane, Ian Holm as Ash, and Yafet Koto as Parker. You found this lane there. No blood. No Dallas. Nothing. the shuttle won't take four. Well, then why don't we trust Rutherford? I'm not going in these drawers. I'm for killing that goddamn thing right now. Okay. Well, let's talk about killing it. We know it's using the air shafts. Will you listen to me, Parker? Shut up! Let's hear it. Let's hear it. It's using the air shafts. We don't know that. That's the only way. We'll move in pairs. We'll go step by step and cut off every bulkhead and every vent until we have it cornered, and then we'll blow it the fuck out into space. Is that acceptable to you? It means killing it. Obviously, it means killing it. But we have to stick together. It's interesting that she is the voice of reason throughout the film. Like, at every step of the way, they resist her advice. And so it only goes to show that she's the one who survives and she ends up doing exactly what the plan she just laid out. Right. Even though she thinks she's abandoning it on the ship and blowing it up, it ends up in the same space on her escape pod Mm -hmm. and she still executes her, her idea and, you know, just kind of slowly flushes it out and uh, blows it out the air hatch. I I love the, I love the no, no, no. Let's hear it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, just got to yell at you and then you'll listen to me. <laughs> I love all the naturalism in the dialogue. Yeah. Um, there's all these scenes, right? With the, especially with him, Parker and his little yes man buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is just this great throwaway nature to it uh, that doesn't feel overly scripted. It feels like the way people really do talk. It has this very easy, natural vibe to it, um, which is pretty cool because reading some of the Ridley Scott interviews, uh, he makes a point. And well, I'm kind of cannibalizing the the show right now, but he makes a point that this is really a C film 
that was only enhanced and made good with good taste and in in a good creature. Uh, and of course he's talking about himself when he's talking about good taste. And I don't think that's an egotistic thing to say. It's a, it's very objective view at the film and saying, I mean, really you just have a, a a creature film and what's going to make this stand apart is our methodology and and how we approach telling the story. Cause there's really not a lot of story here. It's pretty thin. It's just really strong, design and and i mean that literally and uh structurally in terms of story and and the physical set design of it but i'll get all into that in a little bit uh have you ever seen this before i wasn't sure if you've ever actually seen alien yeah okay so it's just probably been a while then it's been a long time what was your feeling after watching it anew it's so good it's so good Uh, why did they ever make any others like they didn't need to make any others like just one I mean, they made others for money. I get it. Sure. Fine. But this one, like, doesn't get any better than this. Yeah. This is so good. Yeah. It makes me even angrier at, Pr- at Prometheus. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, yeah, it's, it's really good. Sigourney Reaver is amazing in it. I, I, like you said, I love kind of the throwaway dialogue. Uh, one interesting thing that I like a lot is the sound, like the audio. If they do, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's just a factor of it was in 1979 and, you know, I, I guess audio mixing wasn't to caliber that it is now, but they do this, this thing. So a, a lot of, a lot of times when you're editing or you're mixing, you mix in a, in a, a linear, you know, it's kind of like, like editing in, 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 in a, a premiere. It's very linear, right? So you have, you have a, each, each, dialogue or each track has dialogue on it, right? Well, a lot of times when you clean that up, you'll take out gaps in between phrases. And so you'll have a phrase and then there'll be complete silence and you have another phrase and complete silence. That is all over this movie. It's like... Without any room tone? No room tone at all. I mean, there's room tone, yeah. but it's it's just... But it's not matching the actual yeah. dialogue. Right. It's just... The entire movie to, as the ship, but it's not like there is other room tone in the dialogue, and so when you cut that the the space out between two lines, that room tone is gone, and it just appears when they talk, and so it's very abrupt, and it's the entire movie, yeah, and not just for their dialogue, but also for sounds and and things, and and because it's 1979, there's not a whole lot of body mm-hmm. to to the sounds, so it's they're very thin and edgy, which makes it even more like aggressive and abrupt, like when the that cat jumps out all the time, constantly. I just want to kill that cat. Like throw the cat at the animal or at, <laughs> at the alien. And uh, anyway, so, so yeah, so sonically it actually works really well for this film. Um, I mean, there's other 1970 movies that don't do that. So mm-hmm. it makes me think that maybe they did that on purpose. You oh, know, that's interesting. it's not always, unless this was really a C movie and they, I don't know, needed to save room on tape. I don't, I have no idea. Um, it's funny because I yeah. saw you watching it with your headphones on and yeah. that's what I did on this one too. Sometimes I like to hear, you know, with your bows noise canceling headphones, you pick up way more stuff, even in Product modern, placement. <laughs> even in modern films. Like I still occasionally catch a screw up in someone's mix on like, 
highly polished films. It's just going to happen at some point over yeah, the course yeah. of a two and a half hour movie, right? Of course. They're uh, forgivable. Yeah, yeah. But like you said, this one, uh, that's just kind of the stock and trade of what's I'm, happening in they the film. did it the entire <laughs> movie. So it makes, it's obvious they did it on purpose. Yeah. It's not like, like, a, oh, they slipped and removed all the room tone. No, no, it's, and there's a lot of ADR in it all over the place. And it's, you know, it's forgivable because it's 1979. It wasn't like, like perfect, mm-hmm. you know, like it's all over the place level wise and doesn't sit right. And, and, you know, I guess it's forgivable, <laughs> but, but the movie itself is fantastic. I mean, it's, you're, you're nervous the entire time. You don't really see the alien very much. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's, it's more the setup of it that keeps you on pins and needles and thinking, when is this thing going to kill the next person or whatever? And then when it does, you still barely see it. I mean, you can't, you can barely describe its body. 12 frames in and out. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Which is brilliant when one, you don't have, if you don't have the budget, uh, just to all you other filmmakers out there, don't have the budget. Don't show the, the creature very much, you know, in fact, barely at all. And when you do very little, so you only have to make pieces of it, you know, or like show aspects of it or things like that. This, this movie does that really well. Yeah. That's interesting because whenever you do that, sometimes, especially if you have something that's so well designed as this alien, it's an incredible creature design. And it's one of the most iconic creatures. I think I would be hard pressed to name very many more iconic creature designs in this because even some of the more iconic ones like a Wolfman. It feels a little too known. It feels too yeah. normal to humanity. This one, you introduce H.R. Giger as the uh, alien designer. He designed like the ship and the interior of the ship and the alien itself. And there's all kinds of symbolism that we'll talk about about that. But you get this really distinct, there's the human ship that's designed by sane people. <laughs> and then there's this alien thing that you just kind of let... Uh, a genius at work completely go for it. Like, okay, man, it's your world. Do what you want. And I'm sure there's still obviously conversations with your director, but what happened, I think with this, there's this documentary and I, God, I'm going to forget the name of it off the top of my head that chronicles the failure of Jodorowsky's Dune. And it's called Jodorowsky's Dune (laughs) is the name of the documentary. There you go. And Giger originally created this Bible and I think it's the Necro. God, I'm going to butcher it. All the real nerds and geeks out there are like laughing at me for butchering this. The Necro Comic Con, I think, uh, and it might not be Comic Con because that's just too on the nose. <laughs> but a book uh, that I want to say he developed uh, as either for himself that he lent to the Dune pre-production or he designed it for Dune. Um, either way, there was all this artwork that he created for Dune that Dune got canceled. It was just too ambitious and Hollywood wasn't having it. And so this book was kind of floating around, making circles around Hollywood. And while Ridley Scott was in pre-production for Alien, he came across the book and he's like, oh God, I got to have this guy. And he did. He called him in and this guy and the writer, Dan O'Bannon, sounds like they kind of clicked. They had a similar vision for what this film was, you know, subtextually uh, talking about and suggesting and the horror that you could create out of that uh, just became very apparent. And so whenever you have something this well-designed, showing it less can make it stick in the audience's mind even more, mm-hmm. right? It's like 
if someone were to flash you uh, a picture of a dead body and it's like, even though you only saw it for a half second, it's still now suddenly stuck in your head. You just can't get it out. And that was what's so effective. And then of course, towards the end of the film, there's still these moments that he lingers, not on the whole body, but on the, the mouth. Right. And it's just, and Ridley Scott talks about, and I have two links that I'll put in the show notes at the pestlepodcast.com slash alien. And it's an article written by Ridley Scott right after production of alien, uh, where he talks about directing and creating it. And also another one with the, uh, the cinematographer, uh, whose name I can't remember off the top of my head, but they both talk about process of shooting this, lighting it and creating it. And you get some insights into what life was like, you know, trying to create this thing. And Ridley Scott just had a really strong affinity towards what was happening. He's like, man, this thing was just so beautiful and just so surpassed my expectations. I didn't mind lingering on this thing. I didn't originally even want to, but when the design is so spectacular, you just kind of deserve to stare at it a little bit longer. And naturally it plays right into the, the pacing and the editing of the film because they do have these, these lingering moments of, the predator is it or isn't it in the room with me right now? Mm-hmm. And you get these payoffs with the, uh, the salivating alien, man, I can only imagine how this was haunting people. Back oh then. God. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely the first of its kind. Yeah. It, it just rewrote everything when you talk about, about this type of horror. Absolutely. So good to that end. Let's, Talk about the uh, that final sequence real quick. Yeah, the uh, where I've I've just kind of called it the purge, where she blows it out the airlock. That's a such a slow sequence, and it's already built on the back of another slow sequence of her even trying to make it there mm-hmm. and finding out. Oh, the aliens in my way. Now let me see if I can undo what I've done. And of course, mother is already set into self destruct mode. She misses the window, so now she's got to go back to the ship, and she makes it in, and then everything feels good. You're watching the explosion and it's giving you this like, Oh wow, she made it out. And it kind of feels like a bit of a letdown. You're like, Oh, I kind of wanted to face off. Like I wanted her to, you know, really beat the hell out of this alien. But you're also like, it's still kind of a miracle that she escaped. So I guess it works. It's not super satisfying. And then of course we had that long, I don't know, 30 second, 60 second shot of her, maneuvering and I guess getting ready uh, in that one specific shot where the alien eventually reveals that it's there. I wonder as an audience member, the first time watching it, if you caught on that that's the alien or not first time I'm trying to imagine watching this thing for the very first time. I didn't. You're you this this current pastime? No, this time I did. Oh, okay, but the I'd first time. Before, but I remember the first time I didn't. It's just like the oh, crap out of me. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, of course, it was a long time ago. I think it was in early twenties. You know, but because that's a beautiful thing to have the monster in the frame so boldly with like the specular brightness bouncing off its head, mm-hmm. and to feel this sense of safety and. You're just kind of waiting for the credits to roll as she drifts off to sleep. So it just is taking a nap. I think it just kind of has this thing where it likes to uh, to hide out and maybe survey its its landscape. 
I don't know. But she was, it was napping or something, dude. Cause it was like, Oh, it was hanging out for sure. Yeah. And like, I wonder if it has something to do with a change in temperature. Uh, earlier in the film, they're like, we don't know how it affects, uh, temperature affects it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They don't really let you know why it's doing what it's doing. Yeah. yeah. To be fair. So that's complete conjecture on my part in, and somewhat unearned by the film. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I think it's it, it's a lurker. I think it's already proven that throughout the film yeah. that it waits until uh, its prey completely has its guard down. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's playing onto that. And it, at that point, felt like, yeah, maybe I have the upper hand here. And so I love though that she recognizes it. She slowly backs into the corner. Slowly figures out a plan. And I love that they never tip the hat of the, what she's going to do, even though she's kind of already spelled it out in, in the, the clip where we played, you know, earlier, but in this scene, we still don't know what is she going to do? How is she going, going yeah. to, you know, get out of this? And they never tip, tip your, their hat. They kind of do these disjointed maneuvers, right? She crawls into the, uh, the spacesuit, zips it up, grabs the little harpoon thing, and then it's just this masterful visual storytelling and suspense, giving us information only as she delivers it. We don't get a heads up or foreshadowing. We have to figure it out or wait. Like, it's amazing. If you can put, on, put together that, oh, yeah, yeah, she's putting on her space shoes. She, maybe she's going to blow it out the hatch somehow. And you kind of figure that out when she straps in, right? And then she starts venting the oxygen. You're like, what do you – oh, okay, you're – you're flushing it out a little bit, and then she hits the, she opens the hatch, sucks it out, and then it triggers the harpoon. Like she had this contingency, like uh, if I can't get it to do what I want, then I have some kind of weapon. And in this case, it helps kick it out. But then it serves a double function when she reels it back in and burns it to a crisp. Yeah. Like there was never going to be any doubt, and that's a super satisfying experience for the audience as yeah. you're trying to piece together. Because you might see that harpoon reeling it back, and you're like, "Oh God, it's not dead. It's going to get her still." And then she like uses it to her advantage. Yeah, uh, it's just I think absolutely masterful storytelling. Yeah. So so one of the reasons why I thought I didn't realize that it was going to be there because I. Okay, when the ship blows up, one, it blows up spectacularly. <laughs> yeah. Three explosions, like, you know, just like, okay, we get the idea. But, you know, um, at some point I, I thought, this isn't over. You know, I remember the first time I thought, there's no way this is over. We're lingering too much, right? Right. Uh, but then she starts taking off her clothes. She gets all the way down to her underwear. I mean, like, there is nothing else that she could take off. And throughout this whole process, it kind of just takes your guard down completely like literally she's taking everything off and so you're just kind of like you know breathe a little bit easier because she's half naked already um what do you you know i don't know it's just like a little bit of like shedding the the what you just watched yeah you know and she just plays it she i think that's some honestly i think it's some of the best acting in the entire movie for me is that is just the way that she's completely free and aloof and and calm and can breathe and thinks that it's it's over what a great point there's this quote that i heard from paul thomas anderson he was being interviewed on some podcast and they were asking him what's it like to work with uh, daniel day lewis and he's like it's i mean it, it can be intense but the most interesting, one of the most interesting things I remember hearing from him is we were watching, <laughs> we were watching some movie. I forget which movie it was. And 
he's watching John C. Riley like wake up. He's like, Jesus Christ, how did he do that? Did you see that? It looks like he just woke up. <laughs> 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 because sometimes some of these most natural things that we do every day become yeah. the hardest to actually act out. Yeah. And so I think it's such a great point that that is some really beautiful, subtle acting because yeah. she's just being. She's just prepping to go into hibernation. Yeah. Yeah. It just felt, I don't know, it just felt really natural. And then, and then, so then when the alien came out, it was, it like totally shocked me. I didn't see it, you know. Yeah. Now this time I I knew yeah, it, yeah. you know, I was expecting it, but and I didn't really yeah, notice the act, the act, I didn't really notice the acting the first time because I, you know, I didn't notice that kind of stuff back then. But this time I definitely did. It was really well done. I love that. I love the uh all the design. It seems largely to have a functional feel to a lot of the design. Yeah, yeah. Um even though some of it clearly isn't Especially when you get into that comms room. Oh my God. All the damn blinking <laughs> the lights. Blinking what is this? Star lights. Trek? Come on, dude. <laughs> that was clearly just lighting for the sake of, uh, bleep, bleep yeah. lights, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but to be fair, there is one shot where you can see there's labels underneath all, all the lights. Like there's one, I forget that's like, uh, oxygen, uh, operational or something like that. And it's like, oh, okay. So presumably, that thing where I guess would maybe turn red if it wasn't working. I don't know, but obviously to, we can see that they were just going for, yeah, for uh, shock and awe. I get it. Okay. But also love the, uh, the projectors. Uh, so what they did is they set up these little 16 millimeter projectors to shoot into the actor's face. So when we're doing those, Mm. uh, shots of the monitor and the reverse shot of their faces, uh, you get this beautiful look that they're sitting at the monitor and they're interacting with it. Yeah. And one thing I found out from that article that I'm linking to the show notes was they actually shot this. And I don't know if they shot the entire film like this or just these sequences with the monitors, but they shot them. Most films are shot at 24 frames per second. And the reason that is, is in the earliest days of filmmaking, film was really expensive. And they discovered at a certain point, um, they were, they would do this hand cranking thing that, was just really wonky, right? You just can't consistently crank at whatever, 18 frames per second all the time. And eventually they got into these motorized cranks and and motors and they discovered, okay, now we can basically adjust it to any frame rate that we like. What's the least amount of film that we can use that still keeps everything looking like real life? But otherwise, like 24 frames per second became the standard. And they chose that because it was also a compromise between sound sync. Like, I think sound was maybe a little bit better at a different frame rate. I forget which it was, like whether it was 22 frames per second or 24, whatever. But for the sake of syncing sound and minimizing the least amount of film possible while still keeping it looking like real life, they arrived at a 24 frames per second. So... In movies and cinemas, that's usually what you're seeing. I won't get into the whole drop frame drop frame thing, but 24 frames per second. For this, what they ended up doing is shooting it at 25 frames per second because whenever you're shooting monitors, and you'll recognize this from like old television broadcasts when they're shooting some worker at his computer and you have this flickering in the monitor. Well, monitors have a refresh rate that's different than the frame rate. So monitors tend to go at like 50 Hertz, 
like which is 50 cycles a second. And if you want to think of it in terms of frame rate, that's 50 uh, frames per second. And so what they said is, okay, well, if we shoot it at 25 frames, we'll be within sync of that refresh rate of the monitor. And so that'll help kill this, these little flashy things that are happening on the monitor. So they shot it at 25 frame per, frames per second. And I assume they kind of conformed it in post to, to, the more normal 24 frames per second. But I thought that was just kind of this clever thing that saved them a ton of headache yeah. during post. And it doesn't look like any different. No, it looks yeah. great. Still looks uh, cinematic as all hell. Yeah. For sure. I mean, the camera angles are just brilliant. God. Brilliant. He has Ridley. I've just been doing all this Ridley Scott reading. <laughs> he has another great quote. He's like, you know what? I could shoot the same corridor in 13 different ways and you would never recognize it. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> and so there's also this uh, tactile thing that he went for. I think he abandoned it about halfway through the scene. But whenever they're like taking off and arriving on the planet, the seats are shaking. He set paint can shakers under their seats to, to jostle it, to give it a natural vibe. Oh, wow. um, and I think he said that it was just a little too fast. And so he ended up having the actors do some of the shaking instead. But I think that's just one of those little low tech solutions to a very subtle problem. Yeah. It's all about performance, right? Yeah. Like you want to yeah. get realistic and uh, make sure that people are suspending disbelief that we're in a movie right now. That's not real. There's a yeah. camera on set. <laughs> but for something like that, it, it's hard for some, for four different actors in the same scene to be shaking the same way in reaction to the same thing. Yeah. You know, so if they can do something as, as steady as like, I don't know, a paint can shaker, mm -hmm. then they would all be shaking in a similar way. So yeah. it makes, to it makes total sense that he would try that. Totally. Know, yeah. I know he also relied a lot, a lot on the old, uh, Star Trek method of let's shake the camera and have the actors shake in sync. And I don't know which scenes he did that, did that probably a lot towards the end when the, the ship is going through some struggles. Mm -hmm. But I just love how much low tech approach there is to it, right? There's a lot of in camera technology that they're not just saying, Oh, we'll just do this in post. And a lot of it is because this is, this was shot in 1978 and released in 1979. And so in the late 70s, there's, there was a limit to what you could do. <laughs> I mean, but to be fair, this is also after Star Wars. So he kind of knew what he was going up against. Like yeah. audience expectations were, were high. Star Wars kind of started breaking the mold pretty hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> and so you have these really tactile things. I love the scene when the, uh, the face hugger is attached to Kane and they're sawing off the, uh, they're lasering off the helmet. And it, oh my God, yes. God, you can just feel the reality of what they're doing because it's slow. It's, it takes time. If you want to freaking laser something off without like damaging everything underneath it, you got to do it very carefully. Then they finish it and they just slowly start to pull at the helmet until it finally cracks open. And then they skedaddle the, the helmet. But I just love that scene so yeah. much because it looks gorgeous like yeah. the as a prop yeah um oh definitely flawless so what is the symbolism for alien that you were talking about last week can we get into that yeah let's uh one more thing on the set design i love the incorporating some of the ship functions into the uh into the drama and the dialogue like using it it communicates two things right that 
one, this is how the ship operates. You press this button, the door opens, press this button, the door closes. Here's how it happens. But I also love that inserting it into the, the, the dialogue when Ripley's trying to talk to Tom Scarrett. I can't remember his character name. And he, Dallas. Dallas. Gosh. Uh, when she's trying to talk to Dallas and he's not trying to have it, he's walking away and she closes the door in front of him. Like, no, we're going to confront each other right now. We're going to have a conversation. And then they have the conversation. He storms off. And I just love the incorporating of the ship functions because it helps suspend disbelief that much more whenever you're seeing all these things actively work. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have those sounds of the, uh, that aperture of those holes. Oh yeah. God, that the was metal just, scraping. Yeah. yeah. It was really good. God, that was so good. Yeah. So let's jump in real quick and I'm going to make this fast because there's some other, I still want to talk about some cinematography and editing, which are the shortest things, but the metaphor of alien is just so crazy <laughs> that I it still don't get it. It blew my mind. I was watching a workshop from the cinematographer of Saturday Night Live at the time was Alex Biono. Uh, I probably butchered that, but he goes into symbolism, which everyone who listens to this show knows I'm really big on. And one of the things he, he referenced was this movie, Alien, which I just happened to be doing the, you know, this week. And he's like, did you know that Alien is really about uh, male rape? It's about men being subjected to their own style of rape. He's like, don't take my word for it. And he uses this quote from the writer, Dan O'Brannon. Uh, and I'll give you a quote. I don't know if this is the quote that he used, but this is a quote that I found online. Uh, and it's from Dan O'Bannon, the, the screenwriter. And he says, quote, one thing that people are all disturbed about is sex. I said, that's how I'm going to attack the audience. I'm going to attack them sexually. And I'm not going to go after the women in the audience. I'm going to attack the men. I'm going to put in every image I can think of to make the men in the audience cross their legs homosexual oral rape birth the thing lays eggs down your throat the whole number end quote and so <laughs> it kind of plays out throughout the film as you just heard i mean we could probably just end the conversation right there uh, but i'll go into slightly more detail here definitely centers around ripley the woman being your protagonist uh, and you have a strong woman which ridley scott has commented before that he grew up with a very strong mother, and so he's never been intimidated. He's just always assumed that strong women is the norm. And so it wasn't a big deal for him to read this script and see a, a heroine and say, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, let's go with that <laughs> instead of rewriting it and saying, no, we want a strong man. Uh, and that was one of the many things that set this movie apart uh, was the lead character was a badass. And then obviously it escalated in the sequel. But I love the... There's a little bit of foreshadowing throughout the movie. Uh, you have Ripley in the uh, that scene with Parker and his yes man. And he, she says, he's he's begging for, hey, we need to get a full share, right? Uh, and she's like, you'll get whatever is coming to, coming uh, to you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's great. And obviously she walks away and he reveals that he was just kind of screwing with her uh, with the, uh, the, the O2 venting. Um, but then you get to the planet, the alien planet, and the ship itself kind of has this vaginal uterine thing going on, right? Uh, and then within the ship, you still have all these uterine shapes. Uh, in the set design of the alien ship, uh, you have this room full of eggs, right? One looks 
like a bit of a fetus in an ultrasound, right? As he's kind of shining his flashlight onto it and he's getting a look at what's moving around in there. And uh, there's this quote from Ridley Scott that I'll go to now quote, the thing that sprung out of the egg, the perambulatory penis, as we used to call it, is the father. It is an abstract entity in a sense, because all it does is plant a seed. Once having conceived, it dies and, and the next generation takes on characteristics of whatever life form it landed on. It could have been a dog, in which case the alien would have taken on a dog form. The result is a combination of two elements, the original creature and whatever host it uses, end quote. And just the name that they gave it as shorthand on the set is kind of amazing. The perambulatory penis. It's like a walking penis. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> and then you have the, uh, the face hugger, right? It breaks through the helmet. It breaks through his, his shell, his defenses, his clothing, and the host uses it. Uh, it forces itself onto Kane and it inserts its seed. And then eventually, what's kind of great, uh, so whenever they try to remove the face hugger, it tightens its grip, right? You can't pull it away until it's done. Um, this is all just very indicative of sexual assault um, and should have probably gave a really big disclaimer on this episode because this is a super graphic, by far the most graphic thing we've done on the show. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's not going to get easier from here. So if you're squeamish, I don't blame you. Maybe skip to a different episode. <laughs> But then you have uh, Ripley, who wanted to keep the alien, Kane, off the ship. And she's going to keep showing up over and over again as the voice of reason. And she was overridden. What's great about that is that she was overridden by a subordinate, but specifically what turned out to be a subordinate droid, which is like a pretend man. And so this... This droid is kind of sculpted after what men are supposed to be, uh, which becomes important in a moment. But Ripley even says that, you know, you just jeopardized everyone's life. And of course, after that, everyone but Ripley dies, because I think the great thing is this still kind of obeys some of the laws of horror films. And there's certain laws about who dies, who doesn't, who deserves to die. And the film kind of each film dictates that in certain slasher movies it's the promiscuity as a sin and therefore you deserve death and in this case it's uh being not listening to to the woman on on the on the board on the ship uh that seems to be a little bit of the 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 logic behind it but then what's great is after the facehugger gets ripped off or it releases itself it shrivels up and dies, right? It goes flaccid <laughs> when it's done with Cain. And then from there, Cain, he's pregnant with its child. It's being forced now to, to carry to term its seed. And the chestburster sequence is just one of the most iconic and brutal things in all of film history. Yeah. Parker's, what I like about the scene in terms of in this context is whenever they're trying to, to, to help him. Parker is trying to insert a spoon into his mouth to bite on. It's like he's giving birth. It feels like so direct, like this old school medieval version of birthing yeah. where, you know, they put a wooden spoon in your mouth and, and he just keeps at it. He never gets it in there. <laughs> yeah, I know. He keeps trying, <laughs> but he keeps going for it. And then of course the birth itself kills Cain. And just as a side note, I don't think, there's like a political agenda 
I, I didn't pick one up. It just seems like, hey, this is just a really fun way to attack the audience and and a great symbolic way to think about how I'm going to approach horror with this film. And it's just brilliant. I think anytime you can weave in some kind of symbolism, even if you don't want to make it like about a greater social topic, that's cool. That gives you yeah. some really interesting grounding to go in new directions, which of course we've been you know, utilizing this thing ever since. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so next you, the next kill comes with Brett, which is the yes man. I keep talking about, I just kept forgetting his name. <laughs> so Brett goes, they, they try to capture the cat. Brett lets the cat go and scares everyone. Right. It's one of those classic horror movie jump scares. But what's funny about it is Brett now has to go searching for the cat and the cat is kind of symbolic of, you know, femininity. And he gets killed by the alien, right? He enters this room that for all practical purposes should not be dripping water all over the place. I have no idea yeah, what, why on a spaceship you would want that. I was wondering that a little bit. <laughs> so I think it's more of just kind of this uh, symbolic thing <laughs> that I don't want to talk any more about than to just figure it out for yourself. Um, but while he's getting killed, you have these great shots of the cat just watching. Yeah. So, you know? Oh, that's right. And I love that kind of tying in symbolism of this is a man versus woman kind of thing. What or more specifically woman versus predator. Cause effectively that's what's on the ship. And we'll get to that real pointedly here in a moment. Then you have Dallas who goes hunting for it and denies Ripley the chance to, she wanted to go, but he's like, no. Um, and so now he's trying to attack it with flame, with fire. And of course that doesn't work. Um, and I'm sure there's symbolism in that. I didn't get a chance to really try to weave in the water, the fire, all these symbolic um, nature things that maybe they were trying to get to. But, or maybe if water represents women, maybe the fire represents men. And of course, that's going to be doomed to fail in this scenario. Mm -hmm. But then you have Ash. Ash gets found out to be subverting the crew, attacks Ripley, throws her in the room. And in this room that he throws her in, I'm assuming it's like Parker's room because there's porn all over the walls, all these naked women all over the walls. And what does he do? How does Ash, who's clearly wigged out, he wants to kill her by rolling up a paper and choking her with it. It's phallic. It's rape. It's very indicative of the way Cain got taken out. Mm -hmm. So it feels like a revenge uh, for what happened to Cain. He's going to do to her now. And, Parker ends up coming to her rescue, kills Ash with the fire extinguisher. Um, and you might even say puts out Ash's fire, you know, as a silly symbolic metaphor of if this is a rape sequence, then he's in, in impassioned and a Ash gets killed off with, you know, a, a fire extinguisher. Mm -hmm. And then you have the, uh, the blood that's running through this Android is milky white fluid, which is probably symbolic of uh, semen, of like semen pumps through his veins. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said, this is a very graphic episode. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I like seeing you squirm. <laughs> and I love this little interview that she has. She revives him, right? She has his head, which is one of the rare. There's only a handful of moments where where this doesn't hold up, you know, yeah. in, in current yeah. times. And this is certainly one of them where they cut from the model helmet, uh, the model head to his real life head. It's so stark. Pretty abrupt. Yeah. 
<laughs> but they did what they could with what they had. That's that's the way that I choose to look at it. But she finds out, you know, his real mission was this whole time that the crew is expendable. And what does he say about what does Ash, the android, say about this thing? He says, I admire its purity. No conscience, no remorse or delusions of morality. Holy shit. Like what a terrible model of of humanity, but of man, of men itself. Um, And so that's. Yeah. Saying, hey, if this is the way, you know, you want to you want to think about your view of humanity in the world, then, yeah, you kind of deserve to get your head knocked off. And of course, leaving, exiting that room, Parker burns ash to a crisp. And so Parker's kind of turned into this good guy. He's been a jackass throughout the film, but now he's been trying to turn into a good guy, which does not always work out, as we will see. Ripley. So Ripley now goes to find the cat. She finds him, Jones, who is pretty willing to go with her now. And then Parker gets killed trying to help Lambert. Lambert gets frozen. She doesn't know what to do. And that's what happens. I think in there's always these really shitty, I would have done this in whatever situation, right? Everyone can be a hero on Monday morning after the fact. And this is one of those scenarios that Lambert gets frozen. She's in the face of death and she's terrified Parker tries to rescue her and gets killed in the process. And Lambert, this whole time, uh, I'll get to that in a second. Lambert effectively doesn't have the same fate as everyone else. Mm-hmm. He rapes her. He uses a tail on her, right? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of symbolic of she's actually being uh, raped. Um, and the predator finally got one. And... I also think it's interesting that the ship is called Mother. It controls yeah. all the information, hides it from some people like it's a need-to-know basis. Uh, Ripley asks to turn the cooling system back on, and Mother refuses, um, and Mother's going to self-destruct. It just feels like this really subtle acknowledgement to uh, the sexes at play here. Um, it's like the original Alexa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mother. <laughs> And so I, I'm not sure exactly what that would represent. Like if she's the mother, then what does the, the ship itself represent? Uh, some kind of womb? I don't know. I, I really couldn't put my finger on that. But Ripley does end up saving Jonesy the cat, which it was interesting to see the alien was fascinated by Jones. It didn't try to kill it. It left it unharmed. It was just really fascinated by this concept of uh, femininity, I guess. Um, but I thought it was interesting that the style of kill that this alien went for was the brain. Like it it kept kind of eating people's uh, melon. And I think that might be a nod to what happens in, in a sexual assault. Uh, Wait a minute. It was even eating what it looked like it was eating. It was breaking everyone's like head open. Oh, that's what it appeared to me. I couldn't quite place where the point of entry was, but that's kind of what it looked like oh, to me. I always thought it was the chest. Maybe. But I, I mean, maybe uh, it is. I, because it, it looked like there was just pure skin open. Yeah. And I didn't see like their shirts open or anything like that. Yeah. And so I just assumed like it was going to the, to the temple or not to the temple, to the forehead. Mm. Um, but that said, it was a special effect. Uh, you don't really, uh, you maybe you're not supposed to get a clear look. Yeah. But either way, let's say 
Let's make both arguments. If it's going after the brain, then I think that what it's saying is assault on that level will leave you alive, but it kind of steals your mind a little bit. It steals that sense of safety. Um, and it's, it's a bit of a symbolic death, which I think still fits if it's going after the heart, right? It, it leaves you, uh, empty and hollow inside. And, uh, it's really, really damaging thing for that people fight for the rest of their lives to recover from. It's, yeah, it's absolutely brutal. Um, Interesting. and so, yeah, that's kind of my take on, the symbolism of the, the alien and what the what the writer I think was going for. Hmm. Any comments on that? I don't know. It all sounds like bullshit through? to me. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of hard to. Not really. No, yeah, I, yeah. I totally see it. I do. Yeah. I do. But just like it's such a shock to me a little bit. I think mm-hmm. you know um, because it's so subtle. Yeah, it really is. You're not thinking these, these things overtly and nothing really in the dialogue suggests it. Yeah. Because a lot of times when people are building an allegory, they'll insert what the allegory is about with throughout the film. Yeah. It's subtle and it's still wrapped around the storyline. If it's done well, if it's done well, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) but, uh, it's there. And in this case, right. They, there's no hint really to it other than yeah. just the visual properties of it. Yeah. Which might be the brilliance of it. Yeah. Honestly, I think so. Like, yeah, I can totally see that because yeah, it didn't seem like he had a political agenda. I just felt like this is a really cool way to, to approach some horror. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like especially the whole latching onto the face, planting the seed, ha- like having, you know, it burst from his chest, like all of that 100%. Like I get it. Uh, what you're saying for sure beyond that i'm not totally i guess sold on it but you know i there it's 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 pretty it seems like it it would need to continue if it was if it starts you know the first third of the movie is about that they're not going to stop those those innuendos at that point, they're going to carry them on throughout mm-hmm. the rest of the yeah. film. So you probably, it probably has some truth to it, I think. Yeah, I think it makes some sense, you know, just on maybe most, mostly from a macro level, the, what you just described and just the idea that the only survivors are a woman and her cat. <laughs> like, yeah, right. That's, that is kind of the tell of the tape. For sure. So real quick, two last things, and then we'll be wrapped the cinematography is kind of cool, but specifically what I really loved, and he, I think, uses this to great effect in his, some of his other films, is the atmosphere itself. And I mean that in a fairly literal way. Uh, he uses a lot of haze and smoke um, just to add a lot of atmosphere and ambience. And you see all these beautiful light streaks kind of coming through. And it sources the light, but it just helps, helps a number of things. It helps hide production flaws. Right. If you can't see everything quite as clearly, um, then, for instance, the ship landing and taking off doesn't look quite as hokey because that's really just a model where the ship isn't even moving. He's just booming the dolly up and down. <laughs> and wow. that's that's it. Right. Um, and usually this kind of lowers the contrast of your film. But I think they also still push the contrast a bit because this is still a fairly uh, low key, high contrast film The the gap between the, the shadows and the highlights, the whites and the blacks, there's not a huge gap there. And that makes it very contrasty, but it also, all that atmosphere adds so much intensity to the scenes, especially when there's kind of a break from it. 
And then suddenly Brett is in this room. Uh, Brett and Ripley and the gang are in, are about to stumble into Jonesy the cat. And suddenly there's all this atmosphere. And it's not something that you really notice because it's not this slow rolling fog. It's just part of the ship. And it just kind of gives you this tense uh, feeling in your shoulders and your pit of the stomach. You just suddenly feel it's this impressionistic thing that you're putting on the audience. I don't know if something doesn't feel right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to go. This thing could be anywhere <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> And there's a couple things I liked in the editing. Um, I love the cut from the face hugger attack to the wide of the alien ship. Like you have this really intense moment and then you just do this quick smash cut out of it. Oh yeah. And you just hang out on the, uh, the, the alien ship for a few beats. And then we, we find out the aftermath earlier. There's a, there's this old rule of show me, don't tell me, but for a horror film, sometimes like you were saying earlier, Showing too much yeah. uh, loses the, the the tension of the audience, and you just yeah. kind of stop caring a little bit. Don't tell me or show me. Yeah. <laughs> Make me feel it. Yeah, yeah. And they do that through the atmosphere and the ambience so amazingly well with the music. and ugh, Anyway, and I also love the, uh, the chestburster sequence. I love the uh, – at the opening of that scene, there's a heartbeat that's in the sound mix. It's so subtle. Yeah, I it's think I heard it. Beautiful. And I, I almost didn't because it's so in the background. Yeah. But I just suddenly was like, wait, wait, wait. Is that a heartbeat? And it's just laced throughout that whole section until it bursts. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was just freaking brilliant and gorgeous sound design um, because it, right from the beginning, just subtly adds a bit of uh, anxiety and tension that the crew is trying to relieve with their banter, but uh, the, the sound mix isn't really giving giving it away like you're not you're not escaping me baby yeah <laughs> it's just perfect and the last thing this has more to do with the editing i guess but they were cutting as they went so they were getting the dailies and the rushes oh. um and what's amazing and god i have to say this part the dp he was shooting this and when when you're on set sometimes you're just shooting a thing you're looking through a tiny lens in his case right you don't have these huge monitors he's just looking through an eyepiece and this whole film by the way was shot by ridley scott on the a camera and the dp on the b camera wow really the entire thing was shot yeah oh, I didn't by know ridley. That. and he didn't really understand what he was shooting in certain sequences and whenever he watched the dailies from Who, the, the the b that yeah the b camera the this the dp the cinematographer yeah. um whenever he was watching the the dailies from that chestburster sequence it made him physically ill he had to walk out he shot it wow <laughs> and he had to leave and he got he got sick and that's how you know it's good yeah and the crew kind of ribbed him about it for the rest of the shoot God. <laughs> But that's awesome. They were cutting as they went and Ridley would kind of, you know, work on the set in the day and then go talk to uh, his editor at night and work through the cut so much so that they were able to show 20th Century Fox, a two hour, 20 minute cut eight days after they wrapped principal photography. Wow. Two, almost a two and a half hour cut. That's insane. And this is only a two hour movie. Like it's an hour and 56 minutes. Yeah. So they didn't, you know, Say, okay, here's the three hour version. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, that's just, uh, that's just, that's, th- that's no, fl- no fluff shooting. You know, no. you know what you want, you get it. And the, uh, the studio just kind of wrote them from after that point. I'll save that. Like, go read the article from Ridley Scott. I, I normally hate going and researching a film because I like to come in with fresh eyes and see what I see instead of being influenced by articles and that kind of thing. But, 
this is such a big film to me and was so influential in my life that I was mm-hmm. like, I just want to know <laughs> what I can find out. Yeah, it feels, it just feels like, you know, when you were saying, oh, this is, you know, was competing with Star Wars and stuff, it just feels like this is completely its own thing. No competition. Mm-hmm. I mean, Star Wars is like a, uh, a fairy tale, you know, and this is just a nightmare. And it's, they're, they're not only are they not, anywhere you know even in the same realm you know obviously because they're different genres but i just feel like this is told so much better yeah than even the original star wars yeah like yeah okay the original star wars is like this gigantic story um this has opera a, it's, yeah it's a lot yeah a lot of moving pieces and everything and it's super long it's the like the lord of the rings of of space i get it but if you just want like this nugget of emotion you know you're not going to get it from star wars you're going to get it from something like this and it it everything from from you know like relief and happiness to fear to you know terror to like like um suspense uh it, it just and it's one of the best space movies i've ever seen like i can't I'm trying to think of some other, and uh, you know, we love space movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and there are plenty of good ones. Don't get me wrong, but like, man, knowing when this was made, what they made it on, and and just the, the like, you, find me a 1979 movie where there's better acting, right? Like straight up acting. I mean, yeah, sure, there was some good acting. I'm not saying there wasn't, but my God, man, it, it felt like it was real, like it was really happening. Like, yeah, these people, they, they live as basically a glorified space tow truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And when they were, you know, like the the Yes Man and Parker, yeah, they were excellent at their banter. Yeah. You know, like it just always felt like they were just saying words, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and that's what they would say. Uh, and it wasn't part of a script, which is obviously, you know, that's what acting is. Yeah, that's what acting is. Under-deliver whenever you should be under-delivering. Yeah, but there were lines that, like, would never be in a normal script that they said, uh, and they kept them. Like, the the whole thing of uh, that you, the clip you played, (laughs) he said, no, no, he was was fighting her the whole time, then all of a sudden he, he said, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Like, but it was in the background. It was just like a passing phrase. It wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't a let her speak. And then I'm going to say, let's hear it. It was a, they were talking over each other almost. It was real. Yeah. It was obviously organic and they kept it. Um, and it, yeah, I just, compl- I just completely loved it for those reasons. That's yeah. so awesome. Reco for the week. Ooh, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to stay with the space theme. Ooh. And I was looking, and we haven't re- recommended this uh, before. I'm going to go with Moon. Oh, yeah, great call. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, I had seen this movie like years ago. I don't know, like four or five years ago or something. Yeah, yeah. I think it came out in. I still haven't seen it since the theater. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh man, I didn't see it in the theater, unfortunately. But uh, maybe I did. Maybe that's when I saw it. Oh, maybe I did see it in here. Maybe I saw it with you. Did you see it at Almo? No, I saw it at the Regal. Mm, maybe I didn't see it with you. Arbor, Regal Arbor, not the the shit one on one eighty three. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's it's got Sam Rockwell in it. It's just you know another really good 
space movie with Sam Rockwell. So it's going to be good. Great so, call. Anyway, yeah. Um, crap. That just inspired me to recommend. Oh, I have been flustered trying to figure out what I was going to recommend actually. And I'm going to go with pitch black. I love that little yeah. film and it's another one of these certainly has to have had a low budget, but a good creature feature. I love the, the monster design and the story. Uh, it's not a perfect film, but I really, really like that movie. And I, I might even watch it this coming week just for, you'll just probably for just picks. go watch it tonight. It's only will. midnight. So, <laughs> Oh, stay tuned next week as we continue. I think we have maybe two, maybe three. I'll see how it, how it happens after after uh, this next couple. <laughs> I'm so happy about next week. Next week we are doing a quiet place. Oh my god! Yes, we got a sneak peek of it uh, thanks to the Draft House. Yes, and we are so excited. You should. It's. I, I hope it's kind of inferred that some of these you are recommended to go watch just by nature of us covering them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think all of them, you know, besides Transformers, maybe. It's <laughs> our whipping post. Oh, definitely. I like it. Sorry to Matt Damon. <laughs> we ran out of time. <laughs> yes, I'm so excited. Uh, so go watch A Quiet Place. We'll have it ready for you uh, by the time the weekend release is over. And... Don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Shout out to Joey Cat for the five-star iTunes review. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, Joey Cat, don't be afraid to shout out and request a film for us to cover. Just don't make it whack, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can make it whack, I guess. Yeah, that's just tear it apart. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's fine. You can uh, see the notes and more at if you want to drop a comment on this episode, do so at thepestlepodcast.com slash alien. Awesome. Great. Uh, and so we'll end with the quote of the day, which is part of the quote that you that you read mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, and this one's from Ridley, Ridley Scott. Alien is a C film elevated to an A film, honestly, by it being well done and a great monster. If it hadn't had that great monster, even with a wonderful cast, it wouldn't have been as good, I don't think. Completely agree. Like, I never thought of that until I read this quote. Whenever I just kind of stepped back and said, shit, he is right. This is a kind of structurally, like on paper, it's a very basic film. Yeah. But he brought all the tension to it and with beautiful set design and obviously a great monster. Yeah, without Ridley Scott's touch, this is this is not remembered. This goes down as... Uh, there's another film that kind of piggybacked off of this one called Creature. And I grew up watching this B movie a lot. I watched a lot of movies that kids shouldn't be watching, but I watched Creature and it's just this terrible throwaway movie. And I loved it at the time, of course. But yeah, it would have been along those lines. Like this is just another crappy monster movie that uh, they're throwing the monster at you every, you know, 10 minutes. Uh, yeah. Too much monster. Too much monster. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> Love it. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed our uh, review there of Alien. I'm sure, I, I sure as hell enjoyed watching you squirm, <laughs> talking about the meaning of it. That was definitely worth the hour I spent on it uh, and rewatching it myself. Uh, no, there's some really, really amazing parts of this movie. So, uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed us talking about it. Uh, so until next week when we do A Quiet Place, which yes. I'm excited. Super excited. Anyway. Be quiet. Yes. Until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Mm-hmm.